Good morning. This is Palm Sunday. Who re- who realized it was Palm Sunday this morning? <laughs> Some of you are waking up just now realizing it's Holy Week, <laughs> Passion Week. I know. A year ago, we were quarantined. Ah. All right. Palm Sunday. Uh, not that kind of palm. All right. <laughs> let's, let's pray and we will dive into today's text. Lord, we love you. As we approach the the Pentecost week, A week of celebration and celebration of your deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt, which foreshadowed the coming of Christ and the deliverance from from all of those who oppress your people. From persecution, especially the, the persecution of sin and death. God, we... We simply want to thank you for a reason to celebrate. God, we ask that you bless the time we have together this morning as we come to your word, as we take a two-week break from 1 Corinthians to see Easter according to Scripture, to see the resurrection according to Easter, (laughs) according to Scripture. God, we love you so, so, so much. We thank you for your grace that you would send a Messiah. That your son would become incarnate. And would give himself as a substitutionary atonement for us, your people. God, we love you and thank you. And in Jesus' name we we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So, what, what happened on Palm Sunday? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Jesus entered Jerusalem and we call we call today Palm Sunday because on the historic event Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem people waved palm branches and laid palm branches at Jesus's feet basically coronating him as king this is the promised messiah here he comes into Jerusalem today we are in John chapter 12 verses 12 through 19 looking at the triumphal entry according to John uh, John was living in the midst when he wrote his gospel living in the midst of a large community who questioned the deity of Jesus Christ who questioned the lordship of Jesus Christ and who questioned whether or not Jesus's kingdom had actually come and their questions were sincere questions um, it, it seemed to them as it seems to us that Christ said his kingdom was coming uh, the Bible said Christ's kingdom has come yet there still seems to be tribulation in the world yet the people of God don't seem to have been delivered from oppression and these are the questions John is answering in his gospel whereas Mark wrote his gospel for the uh, purpose of just 
was writing an account, um, and he rushed to write his account because he started seeing the apostles dying, and there needed to be an account of Jesus' life and ministry and his death and resurrection. So Mark wrote the gospel, the first gospel we have on the timeline chronologically. And then Matthew wrote his gospel to clarify some statements that Mark made and to prove to Jewish people that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the one who fulfilled Jewish prophecies. And then Luke, a Gentile, wrote Luke's gospel after Matthew wrote his to a largely Gentile audience, pulling facts from historical sources and from eyewitness accounts uh, so that we can read Luke's gospel and know certainly that the events transpired because Luke approached his gospel in a very Gentile way, in the way of a historian and physician. And then John wrote his gospel 50 years probably after Christ, after his life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension in order to show that yes, Christ truly does reign. And John, the gospel of John is, of course, the proper introduction to the book of Revelation where John continues to say, hey, Christ is reigning. Fear not. Be encouraged. Be comforted in the midst of tribulation. And John records the triumphal entry into Jerusalem in verses 12 through 19 of chapter 12. Let's read this together. On the next day, the day after the Sabbath, this would be Sunday, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna, there being a term that means salvation from God, salvation according to God. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel here worshiping Jesus as the rightful heir to David's throne, as the rightful king of Israel being coronated on this day. And there they are singing Psalm 118 to King Jesus in in the coronation of King Jesus. Verse 14, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. There, Jesus, quoting from Zechariah chapter 9. Verse 16, Then these things his disciples did not understand at first, But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after Jesus Christ. 
there are two things I really want us to be thinking about as we work through this passage, as we walk through it verse by verse. And y'all, I'm sorry someone else didn't read the text this morning. It wasn't in the bulletin, so it didn't happen. And that's... that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess if you were asked to read the text this morning, I apologize for just skipping over you. It wasn't in the bulletin. <laughs> As we walk through this passage this morning, uh, this this text of scripture, this pericope, I want us to be thinking really about two things. One, the idea of coronation, the coronation of King Jesus from Psalm one eighteen. And two, the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, since Jesus here explicitly in the text says, yes, you are right to praise me in this way. You are correct to coronate me as king because I am here to fulfill the prophets. I am here to fulfill what Zechariah foretold. And he, he, he even came in riding on a donkey to prove that he... He came to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy and that his kingdom was here. His kingdom is being established here as he marches into Jerusalem. Verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of Lord, even the King of Israel. Again, they're just referring to Jesus as the King of Israel, uh, the one who now sits after this coronation, who now sits on the throne that was prepared through King David, the one who sits on the Davidic throne, the one through whom every promise of the Old Testament would be fulfilled, supposedly during this Passion Week, during Holy Week, uh, during during this Passover. I think earlier I called it Pentecost. This wasn't Pentecost, it was Passover. And Jesus would come to fulfill the celebration of Passover and the promises of Passover all in one to deliver His people from oppression, primarily the oppression of sin and of death. I want to read just a selection from Psalm 118 with you this morning. This is verses 22 through 29 in Psalm 118. So, so we can see the fullness of what the Jerusalemites are, are singing to King Jesus as he is coronated here. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save. We beseech you. They're asking for salvation. They're asking for an end to oppression. And they're recognizing that Jesus is the one here to deliver us. O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. The Jews here recognize Jesus as their Messiah, the the one who will bring prosperity to the land. Prosperity again to the nation of Israel after ending her oppression. Verse 26, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is 
everlasting. This is the type of praise that people are singing to Jesus as King. And their praise reflects what they are expecting from a Messiah. And what the Old Testament prophets predicted a Messiah would bring and what a Messiah would would do when He came. In their praise, they recognize that the Messiah, whom they are now saying is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, marching into Jerusalem. This is God. This is the one who will forever sit on David's throne. They're saying this is the one who will bring salvation to us all. When Jesus is coronated as king, they're saying the promise of salvation from God for Israel and for the entire world is fulfilled in this man. And as he marches into Jerusalem now, he is taking his rightful place on David's throne. Salvation to the nations and an end to all oppression and prosperity for the land. Now there's a promise we can get behind, isn't it? That's really what everybody wants and everybody's working toward even today. Not many people are achieving that. But the Old, Old Testament seems to promise that Jesus is bringing that. And these Jews seem to think that Jesus is bringing it on Palm Sunday. And that is why they are coronating him with, with palm branches and, and with praises. Verse 14, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, so now these are words coming from Jesus' own lips according to John. These are the the red letters. (laughs) Fear not, daughter of Zion, Israel, fear not. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's Colt, they're Jesus affirming their praise. They're Jesus saying, yes, I truly... Jesus doesn't correct them. Say, no, we're going <laughs> to... No, no, that's not the way things are going to take place. No, that's not what I'm here to do. Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, Jesus affirms their praise. And he says, yes, here is your king mounted on a, on a donkey's colt. Fear not... This is happening. I am here to fulfill all of the Old Testament promises through the prophets. I'm here to fulfill that for you. We can even look to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Right? What, what once was the most popular Bible verse in all of Christendom, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then the verse right after that, which refers to a general salvation, a redeeming, a renewing of, of the whole of creation through Christ's promise. For God did not send His Son to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Save, renew, the whole world. It, that's the purpose for which Jesus came, for which He was incarnated. He came to establish His kingdom of salvation and prosperity, and He came to end oppression for Israel and and in the whole world. And there, Jesus actually is quoting from Zechariah chapter 9. And just so we can get it, Jesus' promise here, I want to read Zechariah chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And the prophet speaks 
The burden of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach, with Damascus as its resting place. For the eyes of men, especially of all the tribes of Israel, are toward the Lord. And Hamath also, which borders on it, Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise, for Tyre built herself a fortress and piled up silver like dust and gold like the mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will dispossess her, will take the inheritance of Tyre from Tyre. All this, all this stuff, material, possessions, wealth that Tyre has built up for herself, the Lord will dispossess her and cast her wealth into the sea. And she, Tyre, will be consumed with fire. Ashkelon will see it and be afraid. Gaza, too, will writhe in great pain. Also, Ekron, for her expectation has been confounded. You don't even know what you're expecting to get out of what you're doing anymore. That doesn't sound like today at all, does it? <laughs> you're doing all this stuff, you think it's going to help, but then you're asking about the outcome and you... You don't even know what you're doing is going to accomplish. Your expectations have been confounded. Moreover, the king will perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon will not be inhabited, and a mongrel race will dwell in Ashdod. I will cut off the pride of the Philistines, and I will remove their blood from their mouth and their detestable things from between their teeth. From here we see that the Messiah... And this is a messianic vision that Zechariah is having. Messiah, God, will come in judgment against the nations of the world. This is one thing that Jesus, as he marches into Jerusalem in his coronation service and affirms the expectations of the Jews. This is one of the things he says he is doing, that that the Messiah is here to tear down the worldly nations, to dispossess them, to confound them, and to tear them down. Which is what we're reading about in 1 Corinthians, isn't it? When Paul Paul writes that God makes, makes foolish the wisdom of the world, and he establishes the wisdom of, of the foolish in the world, and uses the foolish to, to render the wisdom of the world as it is, which is foolishness. That's what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians. This is the work of the Messiah and the work now that King Jesus is affirming, yes, I came to do this. This is one of the things we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And I fear, uh, fear maybe is a strong word, but I am concerned that as Christians today, being so far removed from the historic faith and having invented new doctrine and brought new doctrine into the church, have forgotten the meaning of Palm Sunday, that this Palm Sunday is the coronation of King Jesus and the establishment of King Jesus' kingdom over the earth. Continuing in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 7, then they also will be a remnant for our God. I mean, that after God tears down the nations, there's a remnant left that glorifies Him. Hallelujah. 
And they, the nations, the heathen nations, the nations that rage, will be like a clan in Judah. And Ekron, like a Jebusite, the Messiah, as he's tearing down the nations of the world, promises that a remnant will be left of those nations that will be like Israel to him. The engrafting of the Gentiles, and through the Messiah's tearing down of worldly nations, (laughs) the kingdom of heaven will be the kingdom left. And a remnant from all the nations will be saved to King Jesus, by King Jesus, for King Jesus. The Messiah will save a remnant to be like Israel. Verse 8 in Zechariah 9. But I will camp around my house, Israel, because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns, and no oppressor will pass over them anymore. There's the end to oppression. There's that messianic promise. For now I have seen with my eyes... Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. So the Jews are correct when they sing, Hosanna, salvation to our God. Hosanna, King Jesus, the one who sits on the throne of David. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. So the the way the Messiah is tearing down the nations, according to the Old Testament prophets, is tearing down the nations and creating peace and ending oppression and bringing salvation to the world because he is endowed with salvation. The way he is doing that is not the way that the Romans accomplish their supposed Pax Romana by the sword. And the Messiah comes humble, mounted on a donkey, in meekness. And he is winning his remnant not by way of the sword, and not by way of merely destroying every other kingdom on the earth. Instead, the Messiah comes humbly and meekly and is winning the world, it seems, by conversion and by a gentle proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His gospel, His good news. And His gospel is what tears down the nations of the world. And His gospel is the means by which He saves the people from among the nations for Himself comes humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will, says the Lord, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off. He, Ephraim, Israel, will speak peace to the nations and his dominion, Israel, and Israel's Messiah, his dominion will be from sea to sea. This is not American manifest destiny we see here. This is the manifest destiny of Jesus Christ and His kingdom foretold by the prophets. And His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is holistic dominion. Complete dominion. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey, a colt, He is saying, yes, This is fulfilled in me. You are right to sing Hosanna. You are right to say salvation to our God. You are right to say salvation from King Jesus. And you are right to coronate King Jesus on this Palm Sunday because Jesus' authority, by His own words here and His own use of Zechariah chapter 9, His dominion, 
at the moment of his in, in, inauguration on Palm Sunday, it's from sea to shining sea. So when he taught at the beginning of his ministry, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it is near, it is here. He wasn't lying. This is what the prophets foretold, that when the Messiah shows up, this is his dominion. From sea to shining sea. He will be saving people from among the nations. He will be coming humbly. And he will be putting an end to the worldly nations. And John here, by quoting Jesus' teaching, affirms that as well. It is no wonder in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, John writes those words that have become so familiar to us. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Jesus affirms this promise. And on Palm Sunday, as he comes into Jerusalem, he says, Today is the day. Hallelujah. Rejoice, O Israel. Your king has come to establish his kingdom. Verse 16. These things (laughs) his disciples did not understand. I wager that many people in many churches today on this Palm Sunday do not understand either. That King Jesus reigns. That His kingdom is not being reserved for a, for a future day as if He has not come yet or ascended to the throne of David yet. Jesus' disciples did not understand this at first. But when Jesus was glorified, when was Jesus glorified? His resurrection and ascension. Jesus, who ascended to the throne of David on Palm Sunday, would be resurrected and ascend to the right hand of the Father after that to prove that, yeah, I'm really the guy. They did not understand what was going on here, what Jesus was teaching, why he was using Zechariah's prophecy, and why the praise of the Jews was A-OK until Jesus was glorified. Then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him, that the prophets foretold this, Jesus' reign, and that they had coronated him on this Palm Sunday, which means even the disciples didn't realize what was happening as Jesus was marching into Jerusalem. But then at the resurrection, the disciples said, Oh, oh, you ever had an epiphany? It's like that. Oh, that's what was happening on Palm Sunday. I, I get it. Aren't those moments amazing? Or you're like, I get, I get it. I, I love those moments. Verse 17, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also... People went and met him because that he, they heard he had performed this sign. Well, first of all, he rose Lazarus from the dead, right? Well, what a sign that is. But then Jesus consciously, on purpose, rode a colt into Jerusalem and said, taught, this is fulfilled today. I am coronated today. My kingdom is established today. I have all dominion today. Because he performed that sign, all the 
all of Jerusalem started flocking to Jesus. Now, wait a week, they'll do the opposite, okay? Maybe. And who's to say that it's even the same group of people? Eh, yeah, because the disciples denied him, okay? The same group of people. Right now on Palm Sunday, King Jesus is being coronated. And in six days, he will accomplish the work of regeneration for the whole world. Isn't that an interesting parallel? God created the world six days, generated the world six days, and in six days, Christ regenerated the world, renewed the world, recreated the world, brought a new earth. This is what He promised to do, and this is what the Old Testament promised the Messiah would do when He came. And Jerusalem flocked to Jesus. Do you realize how attractive the message of the gospel truly is? And we're seeing it more and more, I think, in our day as the worldly ways and worldly philosophies are all being deconstructed before our eyes, which is truly amazing. We, we live in a great time to be people of the book and people of the gospel and people of Christ because right now it's like the only thing that makes sense. And I think if the world really knew the gospel, right? If eyes were open to see what the gospel really is, like peace and justice over the world, uh, really an end to oppression like the Messiah promised and like the Old Testament promise would come through the Messiah, that the world would flock to this message because it is, it is real and it is powerful and it is life-altering. And it's like, because of the gospel, because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit in me, I can, I can love those who persecute me. The world doesn't know that kind of love. That I don't have to be so consumed with my own, my own preferences. What I feel like I, I need. The world doesn't know that kind of life. The world doesn't know anything of what Christ has to offer. But if it could know, if it did know, people would flock to King Jesus. A King Jesus is, is a better king than any president serving in American history. A King Jesus is, is a better king than ever reigned in the Middle Ages. King Jesus is full of grace and honor and peace and humility, and he is endowed with salvation. Well, people want to see the earth renewed, but nobody wants to come to the one who is renewing the earth. Like all of the promises in Scripture, I believe, are so real. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and said, It's happening. Not in those words. (laughs) And the crowds flocked to him because they knew what the promise meant. And I'm not sure many people today really know what this promise means. And again, we have cool events in many places on Palm Sunday. And great worship music and shows. This is the beginning of Passion Week. But then you ask somebody, what does Palm Sunday mean? And it's, it's the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Technically true. 
little shallow, technically true. This is the day on which King Jesus was coronated and his kingdom was established over the earth. And historically, this is what Christians have celebrated on Palm Sunday. We've only just recently gotten away from doing that. I mean, consider the great hymns of the faith. I'll read a couple lines from the hymn we sang this morning, 129, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Right? Consider the historic hymns of the faith and what Christians have historically celebrated and historically claimed and historically believed about the Easter season. Easter, by a way, a word that is derived from the Greek pascha, which means Passover. And so all of those things you hear about Easter being a term derived from the worship of some English or German goddess named Easter with a weird spelling doesn't quite get it. The only, the only way we get that information is from a, a theologian a long time ago named Bede, and we can't actually fact-check that because the information's nowhere before him, right? So it's not fact-checkable, falsifiable information. The only thing we can say for sure is that Easter actually derived from the Greek Pascha in some way, and it means Passover. So when we say Easter, it's, we're saying Passover, and all these stores think they're getting away from Christ with the celebration of Easter, but do they not realize the early Christians appropriated the, the egg imagery and the bunny imagery to symbolize new life in Christ rather than new life in spring? And so even with those things, there's the gospel, and it sneaks its way into the stores. Isn't this amazing how Christ does that? Hymn number 129, crown him with many crowns. Listen to some of these words. Here are the the historic claim of the faith. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Like this is a present kingdom. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. This is the the kingdom of heaven overtaking the world just as Christ promised and just as the Old Testament promised about the Messiah. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. They're placing the kingdom of heaven at the crucifixion of Christ and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity, all dominion to King Jesus forever and ever. Amen. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Crown him the son of God before the world's Began. And here it identifies the eternal nature of Christ the Son, God the Son. And he was the Son of God before the worlds began. Crown Him now, the Lord of love, and behold... Uh, excuse me, I skipped a verse. And ye who tread where He hath trod, crown Him the Son of Man. And the Son of Man there being a, a term of the Davidic throne. It was the Davidic throne which was given the term Son of Man. And so even the historic hymn writers are recognizing Jesus currently sits on David's throne. Who every grief hath known that wrings the human breast and takes and bears them for his own that all in him may rest. Because Jesus is currently king, people can actually rest in Him, and rejoice in Him, and have victory now in Him. Crown Him the Lord of love. Behold His hands and side. Those wounds, yet visible above, in beauty 
glorified. He is the King. He is glorified now. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight, but downward bends his wandering eye at mysteries so bright. Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed or the grave. He triumphed. He did claim the victory, triumphed or the grave, and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. He's already victorious. It's as Christians we can't say this is in my notes for Revelation coming up, so please forgive me for the repetition this morning. There are quite a few Christians, good intentions, who are experiencing a little trouble in life and they say I Yeah, I read the last page of the last chapter. We win in the end. A biblical claim? A biblical truth? We have a victory now. Those He came to save. His glories now we sing. Who died and rose on high. Who died eternal life to bring. And lives that death may die. Crown him the Lord of Lords. This is Palm Sunday. Crown him the Lord of Lords, who over all doth reign, does reign currently, the kingdom of Christ established. Christ inaugurated. And now his dominion is from sea to shining sea. Over all doth reign, who once on earth, the incarnate word, for ransomed sinners slain now lives in realms of light where saints with angels sing their songs before Him day and night, their God, Redeemer, King. That is the historic viewpoint of the Christian faith and it is only within the last 180 to 200 years. I don't know, it's only a 20 year difference. I could have just, never mind. Only, <laughs> only within the last 200 years. <laughs> Has theology gotten away from that? And has the church gotten away from that historic Christian belief? But here it is in the Bible. Here it is in Scripture. Christ coronated His kingdom, inaugurated His kingdom established on the earth. Verse 19, So the Pharisees said to one another, Here's the response. (laughs) So the Pharisees said to one another, you said that you are you, you see that you are not doing any good. They're pointing their fingers at one another here. This is the opposition to Christ. You see that you are not doing any good. See the whole world is going after him. You it didn't work. Whatever you were trying to keep people away from Jesus, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because the, Christ has dominion, not the Pharisees, not worldly religion, not worldly politics, not worldly governments. Christ and it's, it's quite amazing here, even in this text, that even after Christ comes and establishes His kingdom on Palm Sunday, there is still opposition to the throne. And I, I ask this question. If Jesus is not king and He is not currently reigning, how can there be so many people trying to dethrone Him and failing? You can't dethrone a king who doesn't sit on the throne. But Jesus' kingdom is here. And the opposition we see from the Pharisees is proof that Jesus' kingdom is reigning and that it is attractive and that people are flocking to Him. When you think about the history of the world, y'all, Christianity, if it was a worldly religion, biblical faith, it should have been extinguished a long time ago. 
We don't start with 12 guys and consume a whole planet, right? Unless there's something real to this. And then with the explosion of Islam, Christianity was almost extinguished again. So we had the persecution of Rome and then the persecution of of Islam. And Christianity was almost extinguished twice. After both persecutions, guess what? The kingdom of heaven exploded and overtook more territory on earth than before. It's like after each severe persecution, the kingdom of heaven makes great advances that are inexplicable from a human point of view unless the Holy Spirit is actually working, unless God is actually working and the gospel is actually taking root. And it's amazing when, when we read in, in Scripture, Jesus telling His disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Or from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. Y'all, we are the ends of the world. We're on the opposite side of the world and the, the gospel made it. And we're preaching about it this morning. The kingdom of, <laughs> you don't believe the kingdom of Christ is here. It's hard to believe everything we see in the world and the progress the kingdom of heaven is actually making. But you see, there is still oppression in the world, isn't there? There is still persecution in the world and there is still tribulation in the world. There are still people in the world who have not come to Christ, have not come to salvation. These things are all true. Things seem to be getting worse in our time. This seems to be true as well, doesn't it? The establishment of Christ's kingdom on Palm Sunday doesn't mean that there will no longer be any trouble. It means His kingdom is established. And, and now we're, now we're getting, getting to work ending these things that do not glorify God. And Christ is getting to work bringing down worldly nations and establishing His gospel and saving a remnant for Himself. And the period of time we're in, we're in now, we're actually seeing the fulfillment of Christ's kingdom established. And then at Christ's return, when He returns bodily to the earth, that will be the consummation of His kingdom. And after that, the resurrection state when He has finished making all things new. But right now we're in the process. Right now we're in the period of sanctification, the renewing of, of the world. Christ came and He ended the curse that was brought through Adam. That's why we call Christ the second Adam, right? He came and He claimed victory over the curse. So now the curse is, is no longer derogating the world. No longer, uh, what's, a, what's another good word that means the same thing as, as denigrating? There's another one. What's another good word? Throw another word up here. Anybody got one? Please? One? What? Uh, nobody's as interested in that as I am. Degrading. All right, there's another one. Cool. Any others? Please. <laughs> no, through Adam the curse came. Through Adam's sin the curse came, infected the world. And the second Adam, Jesus Christ's victory over the curse The world is no longer denigrating. Instead, Christ is renewing the world. He has started this work. That was the promise of the Old Testament prophets, and and that's the the thing Jesus says, yes, I'm here to do that. And by the time Christ's kingdom is fully consummated on earth, those things will all come to an end. There will be justice fully on earth. He's bringing it now, but it will be fully consummated on the earth and an end to an end to oppression. There will be be peace. 
And people will drink freely from the river, the water of life, and eat freely from the tree of life. All who are hungry and thirsty on the earth. That is what Christ promised to accomplish. And in six days it will be finished, which is why Jesus says from the cross, finished. I did that. No more curse. And at the end of all things, because of what I have done here on the cross, and because of my resurrection, says Jesus, there will be no more crying, pain, death, none of that anymore. Hallelujah. What good news is this? And so to those here in this room and in our community and around the world who notice the tribulation in the world, who notice that the world is quite literally tearing itself apart at the seams, I have to tell you, for those who are in Christ, things are not that way. There is joy at the cross. There is celebration at the cross. There is happiness at the cross. There is an end to oppression at the cross. There's an end to division at the cross. So to those who are not in Christ, who have not given Christianity a second thought this morning, I have the great pleasure of saying, come and see. Of inviting people to come and see the great glory and happiness that is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Something that, quite obviously now, the world cannot accomplish but Christ can and has and does and will for all of those who come to Him. And the end result is the consummation of Christ's kingdom from sea to shining sea.